In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I go over the Sixers' 98-83 win over the Memphis Grizzlies in their first scrimmage, how Shake Milton and Ben Simmons looked in their new offensive roles, and some of the changes the Sixers made to their defensive schemes. We know that most of you listening to this podcast are not only Philadelphia 76ers fans, but also diehard NBA fans as well. And The Athletic has put together the best NBA staff on the planet bar none. With the return of the NBA season coming fast, The Athletic has launched The Athletic NBA Show, a daily podcast combining some of your favorite basketball voices under one umbrella. David Aldridge, Ethan Strauss, Marcus Thompson, Zach Harper, Sam Amick, Woz Lombrie, Dave Dufour, and more, along with a rotating cast of beat writers from around the league. Full-spectrum NBA consumption, something for everybody. Every Day features a new show covering everything from insider news to cultural issues and deep dives into in-game analytics produced by Jade Hoy. So before things tip off later this month, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic's NBA Show, available now wherever you get your podcasts. And now, enjoy the Sixers beat. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. Rich, we had basket. We had you. Uh, you could very clearly, a little too clearly, a little too prominently, and we'll get to that. Hear balls bouncing and sneakers squeaking. Basketball is back in our lives. How you doing? I'm good, man. It felt great. To hear Mark Zumoff and Ala Abdel Nabi's voice again, it just it felt like home. You just you take these things for granted, and then a pandemic comes and you don't <laughs> get to see these hear these things for four months. I mean, this was longer than a normal off season. Oh, far, yep, yep. And uh, it was just you know it's obviously still really weird. We have Zoom post game press conferences. The uh, and the zooms are the the track record right now on the zooms are not great, uh, but we'll, we're we're making do. We're making do. Had a little bit of technical difficulties today, <laughs> um, but they are they are making it work. Yeah. But just having that basketball to watch and analyze again, it uh it felt great. And and after, you know, it, in the lead up to the regular season, you can watch practices. Sometimes they'll let you watch some scrimmage. Uh, there's the thing at the the blue coats arena where they have like the, it's the blue white scrimmage. Sorry. My, uh, yep. my brain was pretty scrambled there, but uh, you know, you have these kind of morsels that we haven't really had, you know, it's just whatever, as I said, last podcast doctored video that the Sixers give us. And uh, I guess it wasn't doctored because no, he's shooting. he is shooting threes. The, uh, and I, and I guess we should just get into that right away. It is so weird though. Like, Today for me represented a sort of like only in one facet of my life and in a relatively unimportant, well, not for me because it's my career, but for most people, a relatively unimportant facet of their life. It was a return to normalcy. You know, you had basketball, you had Mark Zumoff, you had Allah, you had Joel Embiid taking trail threes, you had Matisse getting after it on defense. It was like you the, the Phillies struggling at some Marlins yeah, too. Right. The world felt normal for normal. a brief moment. But what we're going to spend most of this podcast probably talking about is something that was very not normal. 
and that is Ben Simmons taking two legitimate three-pointers. The first time in his NBA career at any level that he's taken two legitimate non-heave three-pointers in the same game. He did that over a 22-minute span. It's different for him to not say, you know, usually he'll take the one, it'll go in or not. It often does go in when he takes the one and he says, I'm cool, I'm done. (laughs) Now, I don't know if it's because he missed the first one or, or whatever reason, but Something inside him prompted him to take a second one, and that's, uh, like you said, that's something we've never seen. Notable. Now, both of them, like, like, like Slow Mo even had like a little mini closeout, not a real closeout, but like he at least started wandering over towards him as he was shooting it. Like, these were very normal shots, and that's great. That's wonderful. Am I telling you that he's going to take that same shot in the first round of the playoffs when Jimmy Butler is like taunting him to take the shot? I don't know. Am I telling you that after missing five in a row, he's going to take that shot? I don't know. But that was a normal looking basketball shot, both of them, that came within the flow of the offense and looked like he had been practicing it. And I know, I know we said this after the Knicks shot. I know we said this after the Cavs (laughs) shot. So if you're sitting here listening to this and saying, yeah, but I get it completely. You're yeah, butting yourself. I know. I'm I'm listening to myself, but I know, I know, I know, I know how I sound. But it did look like he was comfortable taking that shot. And maybe the no fans in Orlando has an impact. Maybe just the fact that he spent the last four and a half months has an impact. Um, I don't know. I'm glad to like the way I sort of phrased it in my article is I can't I can't tell you that this is a, a page being turned in Ben Simmons' career, but it sure as hell better than the the other option we had, which was him not taking any in this scrimmage. So I will take it. It's just like Elton Brand said at Christmas. Well, if you're not going to shoot them now, you're probably not going to shoot them in the playoffs. And of course, he went two months after that until he got hurt by not shooting them. And there's a lot less time before the playoffs. But if you're not going to shoot them in a scrimmage game with 10-minute quarters in your in your first game back when everybody's, you know, it's, there was a little bit of a string, spring training vibe yes. in that game, then when are you going to do it? So I, I do think it was obviously a great sign. I, I would say just as good of a sign as him shooting was I, I rewatched the first two and a half quarters. I don't think I'm going to rewatch the, uh, the the last quarter and a half. Uh, apologies to Norvell Pell and, and <laughs> Kyla Quinn. <laughs> and Speaking all, of three-point bombers. That was uh, a fantastic moment. And B showing some hops <laughs> to get over the, uh, the little barrier there in front of the bench. But with Ben, the spacing was normal for most of his possessions. Now there were sometimes he ran down into the dunker spot. There were sometimes he tried to post up. I don't want to say like every possession he was uh, hunting corners as Brett would say, but there were a lot of times when the Sixers were in semi transition and sometimes Ben would be the person bring the ball up, but if he wasn't, and, and that, that has happened in the past where Tobias can be a, a grab and go guy where he will take it off the rim and he will push. Ben was spacing to the three-point line, and on his first three, Tobias does just that, plays two-man with Embiid in the middle of the floor, and it just looks like normal basketball. It's The spacing is good. 
he plays that two-man game with Embiid, you can see like, oh, well, maybe if he can get by the screen, he can get all the way to the rim. And instead, what happens with, uh, and then with Jay Rich and Shake spaced on the other side as well, and what happens is they help off Ben. I believe Joel throws him the ball, and he fires it right away. And then on the second one, the second one was even better because Al posts in transition, and he posts uh, John Morant. In, in transition, that is, I'm not a, a very big fan of Al Horford post-ups. The, uh, the numbers are, are pretty freaking bad, but I think that is a, a worthwhile post-matchup. And Ben, who was basically in that dunker spot, saw that and said, you know what? I'm going to go space to the corner. Slow-mo goes to help shades towards Al. Tobias gives it to him, throws it to him. Not a good pass down kind of below his waist. And he fires it, and everybody goes crazy. And I just thought not only were the threes that Ben made good spacing, but the Sixers, I guess, secondary break. I don't even know what that term is. Kind of delayed fast break. Whatever is in between half-court offense and just a full-out fast break. You know, they they were running pick-and-rolls with Embiid. They were, you know, maybe some, like, two-man action. I think Korkmaz made a couple buckets off that. It just looked like a normal NBA team with good spacing. And a big part of that is that Ben Simmons was just willing to stand behind the three-point line. And whether he was shooting or screening off the ball or cutting, it was better than what he was doing before. Before before they start playing regular season games, so after these next two, uh, after these next two scrimmages, we're going to have to set an over-under for Ben Simmons' three-pointers in the eight regular season games. We're going to have to... See how optimistic we can get. Um, the problem is the under always wins that. But, yeah, it's, uh, look, we we got to see more of it. I want to see two more in the next game. It's I, just. I, I really, I want to see him go through a, a slump. We've never yes. seen him actually hit a slump. Missed when he's five been in trying, a row. Right. When he's been trying, like he's missed, I think, what, his rookie year, he shot quote unquote 0 from 8 from three point range. But it was like, those were all heaves. Like he's never sat there taking three corner threes in a row. Missed them and taken the fourth. I want to. I want to see that. I want. Yeah. He 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 stops shooting it when he makes them. I want to see him when he's missing them. Um, I will say, and like a lot of people go back to you know Brett's comments in December when he's like, I want a three pointer a game, and then Ben went thirty three games without shooting another legitimate three pointer. <laughs> so like I think the difference here, and like Brett's been talking up this sort of like paradigm shift is what he called it today, quite a bit here, pretty much the entire training camp. And I think the difference, the way it, it comes off, it, it it does to me come off differently than the I want a three-pointer a game. Because when that happened in December, it sounded more like Brett was like, all right, look, he took one, he made it, it looked like a normal play. This would be the time to put a little bit of public pressure on him because he got sort of like that positive reinforcement. It felt like Brett was trying to build off of an event rather than really knowing that Brett, that Ben would follow through with it. Yeah. There was no, there's nothing to build off of coming into this training camp. Like this is sort of like Brett maybe seeing something different and, and thinking he can push him towards that finish line. Would you say he was trusting the process on, on this one? Cause that's what it sounds like. I totally agree with you, by the way. I felt like when he made those comments after the, uh, I guess it was the Cavs game when he had yeah. the, yep. the 32 points and, and he hit the three. You're right. It felt like, it was this emotional reaction of let's see if I can uh, get him fired up after this great 
kind of rare moment he had. This is this has sounded different for sure. That being said, I mean, like I started off, like in the playoffs with Jimmy Butler defending him, do I? No, I don't know that he's going to take that shot after he misses a couple. Do I? No, of course not. Nobody does. Like this is uncharted territory for Ben Simmons, but for what you could have hoped for in 22 minutes of scrimmage action against the Memphis Grizzlies, it was about as the best you could have hoped for. Yeah, and I think when it comes to the shot itself, you see that. You know, it's not something where it's like, oh man, in the NBA finals, is he going to be willing to take that? That's not a question of like, if he's athletic enough or if the game gets faster, all you're doing is asking him to take a wide open three. It's all between, uh, between his ears. And, And is he willing to take that? And you just saw like, is the form perfect? No, his feet are kind of pointed not not the perfect direction. Although I, I do know some shooting coaches who say it's a, it's okay to point your feet in that direction. Like is the spin perfect? No, no, but it's a lot better than what it used to be. And it's what we've talked about. Like when you watch him warm up before the games, you can see that he has put a ton of work into it. And all the Sixers are asking him to do is stand in the corner. And if you are wide open, take it with confidence. And I think like the second Kyle Anderson takes one more step towards him. Then it's a closeout and you can go right by him and then it's over. Then it's, it's a dunk for you or a three for one of your teammates. And, and then it's like, then you're really starting to cook. Um, so that, that was encouraging. It's, it's something we've been saying at all times, but it just, it hasn't happened yet. Ben, uh, he also had the line of the day with the, uh, the virtual fans. Yes. Where he said it was quite a departure by the way, from, what did he say? Like stay on that side a couple years ago? Yeah. Yep. So so basically he got asked about the virtual fans by one of the reporters who was uh who was there, which is uh another weird aspect of, of being a media member at this time right now. Um he got asked like, What do you think of virtual fans? And he basically was like, Well, I hope you know, when we're the home team they have people who boo because when we're not playing hard, I want people who can boo. And it just Goes to show he's feeling pretty good. All right, let's pause for a brief break to hear from DraftKings. Grab your peanuts and popcorn baseball is back. That's right, the boys will be getting back out on the diamond this week. And while we may not be able to join them in a stadium, there's plenty of action to be had from the comfort of home. There's no better place to get in on the action than a DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. To celebrate baseball coming back, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering free bets for every home run your team hits. Taking advantage of this Grand Slam offer is easy. All you have to do is place a pregame bet of at least $25 on your home team. And for every home run they hit in that game, you'll get $5 worth of free bets. Additionally, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering all new users a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Don't worry if baseball isn't your game. DraftKings offers great odds and promotions on all sports, ranging from MMA to basketball. DraftKings Sportsbook is U.S.-based, making it safe, secure, and reliable. Plus, it's easy to deposit and withdraw your funds whenever you want. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code QUICK when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. That's code QUICK to get your sign-up bonus up to $1,000, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Pennsylvania only. In partnership with Meadows Racetrack and Casino, bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500, 
Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And now back to the show. What do you think of the, the virtual fans, by the way? Yeah, I don't... My gut says no. I'm not sure I love the idea. Um, I don't know. Get like we'll a see. get like we'll your see. buddy Mr. Whammy, like a virtual Mr. Whammy behind <laughs> no, one please. of the please don't please <laughs> one don't. of the baskets. Get a, I will say anything's better than those goddamn mics they had in the floor. Oh, that was one of the worst decisions. I, I think I I didn't realize it until like maybe like five or six possessions in the game. At first, I think I just I thought something was fucked up with my audio. Yeah, I yeah. thought like NBC Sports was just having some trouble with their audio, and it was like. All right, they'll get this fixed at some point, or they'll turn something off. Like it's not the first time they they've had technical difficulties for sure. At times, remember that speaker that kept going out at the Wells Fargo Center? Oh, I don't remember that actually. Oh, you don't? Oh, there. Was oh, a yeah, yeah, no, like, no, I, I remember. And you just got used to like every couple, like every sixty seconds, there was a speaker blowing out. Oof, yeah. that was, was tough. So you thought it was that, and then you realized that this was a conscious decision by either. I don't know if it was by NBC. I bet you it was more by the NBA. I, it would have to be by the NBA, yeah. To to test this out. And at first, I was like, this sounds like they're kind of underwater right now. But then you could hear the basketball bouncing. Like, I guess they just had mics yeah. in random spots. I, I figured out what it sounded like on the second watch to me. It sounded like one of those horse-drawn carriages going through the streets <laughs> of Philadelphia, but that's not what I want to hear during no. a basketball game. <laughs> and I get you want to cover up the, the 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 lack of noise. I get maybe you want to even cover up some of the discussions that are going on between coaches and refs or coaches sucks, and players or players and players. I agree, Don't, but I, I get why maybe the NBA would want to cover that up. Sure. That is not the way to do it. That is not the way to do it at all. Oh, that I mean, it was it was like for the first quarter, it was like very legitimately distracting, and I'm sure I got used to it a little bit as the game went on, but like it was never a a pleasant addition to the experience. Please do not do that again, please. I think please. Zach Harper at the Athletic had this idea. They should just do it like they did the Jordan documentary on ESPN two. They have the the family version where I don't know they have the the fake crowd noise. But on the regular ESPN, come on, let's make it HBO. I, I want to hear all these guys cursing at each other, yelling at the refs. I want to hear the shit talking. That would be the best. But it seems like they don't want that, which, while I'm not for, I, I do understand. But there has to be another way besides that. I, I don't know what it is. Just do the fake crowd noise if, if that's the case, because whatever that was is... Uh, it's no good. What did you think of, besides Simmons shooting the threes, what did you think of their usage of him as the four? Something we've talked about a lot, but it was our first look at what that actually looks like. Yeah, I mean, I haven't gotten a chance to rewatch the game yet, but, you know, I think the first sort of, like, minute of that game is pretty representative of why it's probably not quite as big of a change as I think a lot of people are making it out to be. You know, I think John Morant makes a free throw, Simmons inbounds the ball to shake, sprints down to the elbow, and they basically run the offense through him. A screen by Embiid frees Tobias for a kickout pass, pump fake, pull-up jumper. Simmons has his first of nine assists on the night. You know, and then they come down on the next possession. Valanchunas misses a three. Tobias gets a rebound, and he immediately seeks out Simmons in transition. Pushes the ball length of the court, draws a foul. So he's right away very involved in the first two possessions of the game for the Sixers. 
And after the game, Brett basically said, like, look, whenever the other team misses a shot, we're searching for Simmons right away. We're going to get the ball in his hands. When they make a shot, we're going to give it to Shake, and we'll try to get Ben in some early offense or maybe find Ben at the elbows and find other ways to get Ben involved. You know, I think there was some pretty good two-man stuff there with Shake and a big, either Embiid or Simmons. Um, a nice little drop-off pass, nice little pick-and-roll pass. Um, you know, Shake's ability to pass on the moves helps the offense flow. You know, I think they were able to run some stuff off of Ben at the elbows and cut off of him, uh, which I think plays to his strengths and gives him a little bit of a different look than maybe he had in the past. You know, I think this whole Ben being off the ball thing isn't quite as binary as people think. Uh, I thought the first scrimmage showed that. I think there's probably some balance they'll need to find as this whole thing plays out. But, you know, they they started off the game missing some perimeter shots, and I think it looked a little clunky because of that. But overall, I, I thought the offense flowed pretty well. And I thought people seemed to be in, in relatively natural roles for them and their skill sets. On first on first look, I thought it was pretty good. Helps when the big fella's making his uh, his trail threes too. That yes. opens up things for everybody. Yeah, they ran. I, I rewatched the whole first half. They ran that beat and I fifteen times, and, and sometimes they ran it to Joel. But most of the times they did it where Joel was the uh, was the top big he he replaced him and Shake kind of replaced each other and he would set the the wide pin down for Tobias and then yep. Shake would hit Ben at the elbow and that is that's how they played so you know when you say that that he's playing off the ball really the the first pass is to get him the ball but it's at the elbow right and, that and that's is, a little harder to help off of like Brett said after the game um, it's a spot where you sort of like his, his defender needs to come out there and defend him at that spot. And you can still run a lot of screening action off of him. It's, it's yeah, no, I agree. There, there was one play. I, I think it was one of the first plays of the game where he basically ISOed slow-mo one-on-one. I guess, I guess we should say who slow-mo is. Slow-mo is Kyle Anderson. Uh, and he was, he was guarding Ben for most of the game and, uh, he ISOed him. And after Ben kind of shook him and, and got into the paint, Valanchunas had helped so far off of Embiid that when Embiid did space the floor for three, like, look, he's open a lot on his threes. He was wide the F open on this one, and he knocked it down. And I just thought, like, that's good offense. That's that's what yeah. normal spacing looks like. And, you know, I, I get that uh, that you want Embiid in the post a little more maybe than what you saw, but for the most part, I— I liked how he was used, even Embiid. Like, felt like he took more jump shots than usual, but it was like I was saying earlier. He was, you know, being used as the pick and roll man in delay, delayed offense. Like, it wasn't like lazy trail threes that he was taking, which sometimes no. he makes too. I mean, I don't, I don't want to say like that's necessarily the worst offense in the world, but it you just want to see him active and. Ben was uh was really good and that's what they mostly ran. It felt like there were a couple times they uh at the end of the first quarter they put Alec Burks into the game. By the way, Brett calls him Alec Burke. I know. <laughs> Sounds like uh Alec <laughs> Berg, which is from I think it's from Seinfeld or something. But uh yeah, no, that that S does not exist. No. On his name. The other thing he said too, which uh which gave me flashbacks, he called Ja, Rama- ja Morant jar <laughs> yeah. which is what he used to call okafor as well yeah so that was uh that was the the bread accent notes of the day but uh yeah I, I thought the offense flowed pretty well like Corkmaz did some did some good stuff 
got open a few times. And yeah, I think you mentioned it earlier too. They ran a play. No, they ran, they ran beat an eye. And it was funny because did you see shake was being guarded by Jaron Jackson right. the whole game, which was weird. And, and there was a play in the first quarter where he hits Ben at the elbow and cuts off of him. But Jaron Jackson ducks under at the elbow. And then Ben just like, all right, well, I'll just pitch as a shake. Shake gets his feet set, fires away, and he drills the three because Jaron Jackson is like way under. And I know he's a long defender, but, you know, allowing Shake just even a little bit of time to get the uh, get the old puppy set and fire away. You see the the theory of why Shake is uh, is such a good fit for this offense, because honestly, if they do that, that shot is that's 40 to 45 percent of the time that's going in. That is good freaking offense. And. He's going to make that shot. And I think what is uh, the other benefit of, of running that play is that is the the basic framework that shake toward the league up for a week on that West Coast trip. And yep. uh, the only difference now is that instead of Horford, it's uh, yeah, ben. it's ben, ben Simmons yep. who he's running it with. So, yeah, a lot of uh, honestly, a lot of positives from the from the first game. We uh, we joked that, you know, championship if they win. Trade everybody, fire everybody yep. if they uh, if they lose. But from from what we saw, like you know, I think in the second half things got a little ragged. But for the most part, I think mostly everybody who played, you know, Horford. I, I didn't love him. It'd be nice if he could make a layup and not clap uh, after he misses <laughs> every once in a while. But for the, the most part, layup clap is a very uh, quintessential Horford move. He does it every time. Too. Every time. Yep. Do you think it's just like a? <laughs> <laughs> just like a natural reaction yeah, for him, right? Yeah, he's it, it's not a conscious decision. It's just an instinctive, like, oh shit, I've been doing this for the last twenty years. <laughs> Gotta clap. Um, no, it was and like that point you make about a forty-five percent look for Shake. Like that's why you know I, I wrote recently about like in a mailbag. Am I confident he's going to be a long-term starter? I don't know, but I do think because he has that off-ball skill set. Like, if you were going to tell me, like, what's your confidence that Shake is going to be the team's primary ball handler and lead initiator with a heavy dose of, of pick and roll for the next 10 years, I we have to see a lot more out of Shake to make that proclamation right now. Like, that is a very tough role to succeed in. There's a very select few people who can do that efficiently when they're the focal point of an opponent's scouting report. We We, we just need to see more out of Shake. But because he can also then slide over and play sort of like that combo off-ball role, and because he can be efficient in that role, then it gives you a lot more like, okay, maybe he doesn't work out as this, you know, Chris Paul, obviously. But like this Chris Paul type point guard, great. He doesn't need to be because I'm very confident he can be that catch-and-shoot shooter. And it just, especially not only because you have Ben Simmons, who's either going to be maybe not your point guard, but your co-lead ball handle, phrase it however the hell you want. But also, oh, by the way, you've got that big fella down there who's going to post up more than anyone else in the league. He's got to be able to make that shot. And I'm, I'm pretty confident in that shot with Shake. I'm very confident in that shot. He, uh, he looks natural off ball for sure. Totally. It's, it's not just that playing through the elbows might play to Ben's strengths more. We'll see. But it, it's, it sure looks like there's a chance. Taking the ball out of Shake's hands, like you said, like a Chris Paul type point guard, not giving him that level of dribble drive playmaking not giving him that much offensive responsibility is important and i think he's uh 
he's just a really smart player, man. Yeah. And I uh, I thought he looked excellent. I thought he looked really good defensively a couple of times too, which was uh, which was good to see. Let me uh, so so there was something that blew me away, and and we kind of talked about how even though Simmons played at the four, a lot of the stuff they ran was the same stuff they've kind of always run, but it just had people in different spots for the most part. There was something they did on the defensive end that I thought was like the most anti-Brett Brown Sixers thing I've ever seen. I'm curious if you picked up on during the game. Well, I haven't, I haven't gotten a chance to rewatch it yet. Yeah. Um, I caught it. it did, I only caught it the second time. I mean, they were a little more aggressive on their pick and roll stuff, but only sometimes. Uh, I don't think that's what you're talking about because they sprinkle that in. So, so they did that a little bit. That's true. But what they especially did, which I thought was like, honestly, I thought it was like fucking crazy that they did it this much because I've never seen them do it this much when, when MB is in the game, especially. They helped at the nail of shooters like I've never seen before. Okay. And it kind of bit them a little bit when with slow-mo and DeAnthony Melton making threes, but they purposely did it. Like when there was a pick and roll on the right side of the floor, if uh, if Melton or Anderson or Josh Jackson was on the left wing, kind of non-shooters, usually the Sixers will have their guys stick close to them so they can, you know, play two on two with Embiid. I think anybody who's listened to this podcast or paid close attention to the Sixers know how they want to play. They don't want to give up three pointers. They helped like I've never seen before, and a couple times it worked. Like Tobias and Matisse got a couple steals. But this was like Boston Celtics, like Toronto Raptors type type helping, which I thought was crazy. And part of the only reason I noticed it was because Brett talked about it after the game. And he was like, we were helping yep. off those guys more. But holy crap. And I, I do wonder if that is something that they looked at during the self-scouting period. Because like, you know, they, 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 they maybe they thought like, hey, man, we're only like sixth or seventh in defense. Like we should be better than that. And you know, when you look at the top defenses in the league, like the Milwaukee's, the Toronto's, the Boston's, there is like a lot more help going on with those teams. They are more willing to concede threes. And I'm curious if this is just something they, they tried out or if it's something we're going to see more because you kind of saw both the benefits and the drawbacks of it, but it was just so on Sixers and it was kind of jarring when I rewatched the game. All right, let's pause for one final break. This time to hear from Manscaped. Fellas, are you prepared to unveil your summer bod? The beaches are opening, the sun is shining, and the bushes must be tamed. Manscaped is here to ensure your post-quarantine body is ready for the wild. Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full-body grooming game, and they have forever changed the game with their Perfect Package 3.0. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with the Essential Lawnmower 3.0, waterproof cordless body trimmer, and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. This is the best trimmer on the market for those of you in need of a chest shave, and this third-generation trimmer features skin-safe technology to reduce manscaping accidents. You can also adjust settings to get a length you like, and you can stay on top of it with almost no effort at all. Be sure to use our Crop Cleanser to keep your hair and skin healthy. It's an all-in-one formula, so it's as good for healthy chest hair as it is for your skin. Subscribe to the Perfect Package and get a new blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months. Do yourself a favor and use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC20. 
And for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. So go to manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC20. And now back to the podcast. Yeah, I mean, there's, like, we've mentioned this in the past, but, like, they've been more willing to alter their scheme in the playoffs um, the past couple of years than they are in the regular season. Like, regular season, they've been pretty locked in um, last year in the playoffs. Well, that was, you know, top-locking Joe Harris or whether it was helping off of uh, Pascal. Like, they, they did change things up a little bit. But yeah, to do that in a regular season to make it a change that drastic. And and like you said, that's not like that's a very big conceptual shift from the way totally. that they typically it's do. So it. different. They, they take pride in the fact that they don't allow very many three pointers. It will be interesting to see if they continue doing that um you know, throughout not only these scrimmages, but the regular season and in the playoffs. Like that would have been an adjustment I would have I mean, that would have been even surprising in the playoffs. But certainly to start doing it in a regular season is uh, not like them. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean. But then again, you also don't have a four and a half month break in the middle of a season normally, too. So It might be something they have to do in the regular season because, like you said, it's just so foreign to, to what yeah. they, they used to do. And but. You're, you're going to screw that up a couple times here in, in, in the first couple of weeks that you run it. So why not have it do it now? Yeah. And, and they did. But, like, to see Tobias and uh, – trying to think who some of the other players were like like shake and jay rich a couple times to see them help like you're watching fred van vliet or jason tatum or somebody was i I know it's like it seems like a small thing but it's it's just completely different than the way they play defense and i have never seen them help at that level so yeah that'll be interesting but i think for the uh and and i guess the idea there is you don't want to give up threes, but you're willing to give them up kind of selectively to bad shooters. But right. it was interesting. And I mean, their defense was really good for long stretches in the, uh, in the first half, especially of course. Yeah. S- somebody who was, uh, it was pretty important didn't play in the second half. But, Which I was a little surprised about. Brett did mention that he was targeting 18 to 20 for Joel. He ended up only getting 12 or 13. Um, none of which in the second half, probably just saw what they needed to see out of the starting unit in the first half and called it a night. We should probably go to shake for a little bit. Um, how we thought he did in that. I, we, we sort of did, I guess we could sort of moved on. He did make a couple of real nice bounce passes, real nice passes, the rollers passes on the move. There's just a, there's a, I mean, you touched on this. There is a, 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 a poise and a, just a, an intelligence. Like he reads situations pretty well and having another one of those guys who can shoot and make decisions is it's nice it's He's, nice what he is really good at and it kind of is what we were talking about earlier about not giving him the ball at all times he is really smart at reading where his defender is playing him when he's running off a screen mm-hmm. kind of like i mean it's kind of like what jj would do or what ray allen would do you know if, if they shoot the gap you fade if they trail you curl that that type of thing it's a little different with him because he's not running a million miles an hour off screens. He's kind of, he's getting them at weird angles. He's getting dribble handoffs. He obviously can do more off the dribble than those guys, but he's just like, it, it's kind of like I was saying when Jackson went under that screen, he knows how to see where the defender goes and basically go the opposite way and put the defense in a tough position. And there were times when maybe the Sixers didn't even score, 
but he created advantageous situations by doing that. And I think that skill will be even more highlighted because the fact that he's running off Ben Simmons now, somebody who can get him the ball in those spots and even tighter spots in general and get him the ball on time. I, yeah, I am. I'm really impressed with him. I thought his defense on Dylan Brooks, he was really competitive chasing around screens. That's not something you always see from him. Or not, it's not something I, I guess that is like taken as a given with him. I would say uh, he took a charge on Jaron Jackson. That was good too. He, uh, it seems like they have him hard hedging on defense. Like he's not, uh, he's not switching a lot with Ben Simmons or the Sixers better defenders. But I thought he looked really good on that end of the floor, and that's important because he's the guy they're going to hunt now. Yeah, and if if he is, I mean, it, it's a as your worst defender in the starting lineup, he's a step up from what they have had in prior years. Yeah, um, he's better than JJ for sure. Yeah. I guess if I was going to, like, if this was a normal game where you gave a shit if they won or lost, I would say that second quarter defense was probably the highlight of the game. And that's something where, like, they were so bad on the And technically, this was a home game for the Sixers. This is their first win in Orlando (laughs) in 10 years. It feels like it. But technically, this was a home game, but only in a technicality. So if you were, like, a little bit concerned that maybe they wouldn't be able to find energy away from Wells Fargo Center. And look, this was one game, a scrimmage in July against the Grizzlies, the first time they've played in four and a half months. But they did seem like they had good energy and that that defensive performance in the second quarter especially was was a great sign to see. It's only the first of many, so we'll see where they go from there. But that was a good sign. Overall, there really wasn't a whole lot for me to nitpick. No, I, I guess you could perhaps say Horford didn't play great. I mean, he. Yeah. I actually thought he looked... Fairly Physically, li- he looked yeah. okay. Yeah, I th- it is surprising that he spent so much time with Embiid after Brett earlier in the week, you know, pretty much admitted that they hadn't practiced together at all uh, during during camp. Uh, so that was surprising. Now, look, I, I get that you want to have Horford defend Embiid so you can give Embiid a good look and get him up to speed. Maybe, maybe that's all that was. But I certainly was not expecting that much Horford and Embiid minutes right out of the gate. Um, and it'll be interesting to see whether or not they change that up. Uh, Mike Scott, I don't believe played at all in the first half. Did no. come in, in the second half. That would be your other option there in those Milton and Bede minutes. Um, but that will certainly be one to keep an eye out for because, I mean, like we said, if you get Embiid up to 38 minutes per night and also you have Horford um, on the team, like if he if he's not, he, it's, it'd be real tough for him to only be a 10 minute per game player. So those are sort of the natural minutes you would pair him with. How well those two look will be uh will be key. Yeah, and who they're playing with will be yeah. key as well. Like you said, Mike Scott did not uh he did not play in the first half, which I think roughly means that he is not in the ten man rotation right now, or at least he's not in the ten man rotation when Horford plays, and that's something we talked about um I think at least last podcast or a couple podcasts ago. Who those two guys played with was pretty interesting, though, because they they jumbled the rotations up more than normal. Josh Richardson was not tethered to Embiid at all times. So in those minutes, it was Milton, Korkmaz, and Theibel were the three guys who played with them. seemed like they were running kind of some horn stuff. I I do think it's important to have 
Milton and Corkmaz on the court at yes. that time because the Thibel I mean, the, one is a questionable one out of that group. Yeah, and I think you're you're trying to get away with one below average shooter there, but you're also trying to bring some level of of defense on the perimeter. Yep. And and like we said, like Shake is not bad by any means. Quirk uh, Quirk cracks me up, by the way. Just just watching him like run back on defense he runs like an old man. <laughs> Played really well, by the way. He's been uh, I don't know. He just he cracks me up at all times, and I, I think he he played pretty well today too. Um, but yeah, I think uh, who they play with in those minutes, it's it's going to be key. And having Milton and Corkmaz, it's important because they're your two best shooters. The other real the Matisse dunk was nice too. Oh my god, that was incredible! You, you had that Matisse dunk, and then you had the, the Simmons no look alley oop pass, and that was probably the highlight of the game. Was was right there. Um, that was God. That crazy dunk. ass Oof. pass, by the way. Yes. No, yes, I mean, was. yeah, Matisse when when you give him a head of steam, and by the way, J- Jar Morant gave him a huge head of steam on that one. Just like did the old uh, old bullfighter Olay, just get out of the way. But yep. When you give him a head of steam, it's something I've talked about the whole year. It's like him and Corkmaz and a few other of the guys on the Sixers. They're not crazy dunkers in traffic usually, but if like if you let them take two or three steps when they don't have to stop, you could see what happened in that one. And what happened is he put one on Jaron Jackson. And yeah, the uh, the no look pass Simmons threw that was crazy too. Like a no look pass from thirty feet to yeah. Tobias Harris, who is not a uh, not like a huge alley oop guy, like pretty good athlete, but you know, not not playing way above the rim. Yeah, those were your two highlights of the game. The only other thing I thought was really surprising was Alec Burks getting that that point guard time. Um, now that was almost all in the second half. Uh, I think he had like two minutes in the first half of play. He really only played about seven minutes in the second half, but that was pretty much exclusively at the point guard spot. I do think that is something where. When, you know, the rotations shorten and Simmons and Shake are on the court, one of those two are on the court pretty much the entire game, I'd be very surprised if they're going to turn the ball over to Alec Burks. That seems like a scrimmage, expanded rotation. If Burks does sneak in the lineup, I think it would be all as, as I mean, and look, these positions aren't as defined as we're making them out to be, but I think it would be more of an off-ball role. Uh, but they did put him in the, the middle of the court with a lot of middle pick and rolls, and he... Had some success, played well, certainly acquitted himself well if he is going to earn more time. I think that's just the one where I look at, though, and I go, I'm not sure I see this sticking going forward, but so far. It's tough, though. When when Shake is A, in the starting lineup, and B, the backup point guard when when it's Embiid and Horford, somebody has to take those uh, point guard minutes in the middle, and maybe it's Simmons. Maybe you do that, but... I really like the look of, and it's like literally the simplest play in basketball. It's just spread the floor, two shooters on the weak side, one in the corner, pick and roll on the right side with Ben Simmons as the roll man. And it's funny, they ran that a few times and both Burks and Richardson screwed it up where they threw these ridiculous lobs when I think at least in Richardson's case, a pocket pass would have sent Ben off to the races, probably would have resulted in a... uh, in a weak side three-pointer, but 
Yeah, trying to find the the non-shake pick and roll partner with Ben, I think, is something I'm still a little bit skeptical of. Oh, yeah. No, if you're going to try to find that, like Burks is your most viable option for sure. Yeah. And he made um, a couple jumpers off the dribble too. Yeah. But I, I do think like with Burks, and <laughs> you've pointed this out plenty of times, I'm not sure he's really like diming Ben Simmons up on a uh, – no, on a pick and roll, <laughs> like it's almost like Ben is, despite the fact that uh, that he's such a good role role man and can be really dangerous in those situations when he gets the ball. Really, that's irrelevant when Burks is in there. W- what only matters is that he sets good screens, and, right. uh, <laughs> because if Burks comes off it, like it's going up if he finds any sort of uh, any sliver of space. <laughs> Not probably not the game to be shitting on Al- Alec Burke as um yeah. as Brett would call him, but he 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 had a nice night. But yeah, I don't not a, a huge believer in him, the point guard. Um, yeah, I don't know why I started shitting on Alec Burke. He was fine. What am, what am I doing? Don't don't be an asshole. We'll, we'll we'll have other games for that. I think that's uh probably just about all that I have. A a gosh, it just felt like a normal basketball game, and it didn't. It didn't at all. There were no fans. We had this weird-ass floor noise. Um, we were watching it remotely, doing interviews remotely with Zoom technology that was barely working. So none of it really felt like a normal game, but it was just it was so nice to have that back in our life. It was so nice. Yeah, and I've and watched I, a few the of the other on games. in the background. And- yeah, and I've watched a few of the other games too, and it just feels like the quality of play is a little better. Then I thought, I don't know, I, I guess yeah, my... it felt like a normal preseason game. My bar was pretty low, I guess. I, I was assuming that they were going to be throwing the ball into the third row, like Embiid in his, uh, in his rookie season at all times. And uh, <laughs> it just really hasn't... It hasn't been quite that sloppy. And I think, you know, I haven't watched all the games, but fingers crossed, like, obviously the uh, coronavirus testing has been... I don't want to say it's been positive. It's been uh, it's been encouraging, is is right. what it's been. It's been encouraging because it's been negative for uh, for everyone so far. But I don't think I've seen any soft tissue like injuries yet, and I, I guess that can still happen in the coming games. You don't want to jinx anything, but uh, no, nobody pulled a hammy in this one for sure. I mean, look, you've had a four and a half month layoff, and and they looked like uh, they looked like NBA basketball players. That is a Huge win for sure. All right. I think that's probably a good enough place to cut it off. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.